interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking the secrets of success. Welcome to the Private Equity Podcast with Alex Rawlings. Welcome to the Raw Selection Private Equity Podcast, interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking their secrets to success. Joining us today is Laith Murad, who is an experienced chief marketing officer, having worked for small equity-backed companies right up to being a vice president with Yahoo. Welcome, and thank you very much for sharing your insights today, Laith. Uh, thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. Uh, glad to be here. Perfect. So Leif, for those, for those of us that don't uh, know you that well at this stage, can you just give us a kind of a 60 to kind of 90 second breakdown of you, please? Yeah, sure. So I started my career off in retail, Neiman Marcus. I really got to learn a lot of little things, which is, I will tell you, the most important thing when you're dealing with a luxury high-end customer is details matter. Details matter extremely, you know, if you don't pay attention to the littlest details when it comes to marketing, mistakes can be made. And so transfer that, I started consulting, working with large companies, Fortune 500s, Nike, Bloomingdale's, Victoria's Secret, uh, American Eagle Outfitters, Men's Warehouse, Hilton Hotels, Hertz Number One, Club Gold programs, really designing customer relationship programs, data analysis, focusing in on segmentation and targeting and really engaging and activating your best customers and how do you take care of them and ultimately how do you show appreciation and say thank you. Left there, went to uh, Yahoo as VP of Digital Global Marketing Customer Acquisition Retention and focused in on really it was a data-driven initiative where we looked at social media, we looked at uh, media buying, SEO, SEM across the land. Left there, I've worked uh, as CMO of a couple big PE-backed companies with you know 100 plus millions of investments, all the way down to startups. Right now, I'm currently working with uh, Fanvestor, which is a leading crowdfunding platform that is targeting celebrities for celebrity-related businesses, which is really interesting that you know we sit right in this all-in-one category where celebrities can now allow fans to actually invest in their own business-related projects. You know, I think we all would have loved to have put a little money in when Ryan Reynolds, you know, started his aviation gin. And, you know, as fans of Ryan Reynolds, you would have liked to have had a chance to help get a little bit of the action at the, the back end when it sold for $700 million, or Rihanna with her Fenty Beauty. And so there's tremendous opportunity to engage fans and really work together to do charity sweepstakes, launch products, or raise money and investments. So it's been a fun initiative, but uh, I guess I'm glutton for punishment. I go from Yahoo with, you know, $180 million of budgets and big staffs to, you know, when you're PE backed and you're uh, getting investments and you're looking to raise money, you you tend to roll up your sleeves and get down and dirty. And, you know, ultimately as a C-level, you tend to know the business inside and out. Absolutely. Yeah, the, um, the the Ryan Reynolds Aviation Gin is probably not as well known in Europe, but certainly is a big uh, deal over in the States. But I've seen some of the adverts and there's some really clever advertising that they've put out. And uh, I think we look a lot about marketing as kind of clever and what do we know, what works. But, you know, you mentioned it there, there's a heavy amount of data, um, which we're going to drive into. With, with regards to, if you could... Marketing is a bit of a, you know, well, I'll say a bit of a, is a very large topic, but what, yeah. from, from your perspective, what one mistake 
or what's the biggest mistake that you see kind of portfolio companies of PE backed businesses or venture backed businesses making? What's that biggest mistake you see them making? Messaging. Okay. I think I think there is such such an emphasis on trying to tell everything and when you're a startup and you're doing all these little things and whether you've got tech and you talk about platforms and this and this you tend to tell the entire story 10 times over and try to get to the details to not justify but to support with confidence that you've developed this amazing company and it's going to you know rule the world but the consumers, whether or the customer, whether it's a B2C or B2B or B2B2C business, really listen simply. And so simplicity of message, what do you do and what do you do well, often gets lost when you try to tell 10, 10 different sides of a story. So I would say that a lot of the companies I've consulted for, a lot of the companies I've worked with, the messaging is critical um, as a PE company to really understand what you are and goes along with messaging means identifying the exact right target audience that you're going for and being clear and clean to them. So they, they it's crisp, they get it. And it's really difficult to do. I say it's easy, but it's not, it's really difficult. And people think, oh, you came up with a clever line. Nike came up with a clever line, just do it. Well, it took years and years. Like a lot of these things materialize and when you hear it, you get it, and it's simple, and, and that's what works. And, and I think we all react to simplicity. So, you know, um, speaking in a language that allows a, anybody to understand is critical. Interesting. And for, for the, you know, for the chief execs, you know, maybe CFOs, whoever's listening, and also the P investors that maybe are not as clued up on the marketing side and maybe don't drive or have um, somebody with a marketing background in their, in their business, especially at a kind of CMO type level. What, um, how would you describe the kind of role that you undertake uh, and what it is that, that you do, if that's not too much of an enigma of, uh, of marketing? Yeah, you know, it's a great question because when you're working with the CEOs, especially if it's founder led, when you're working with the CFOs and, you know, financially, you know, everybody's watching every dollar that's being spent and trying to evaluate, is it is it a good investment or a bad investment? Because there's limited resources, people, limited resources, funds. Patience is kind of one of the keys to success also in marketing. And, you know, you talk about, you know, what are some of the mistakes? Well, messaging goes with it, but you got to get the message out and you've got to be able to repeat it several times for people to actually listen. And I would say patience is one of the things that drives forward outstanding marketing, outstanding creative is that CFOs and CEOs are willing to listen to a strategy, watch it execute, but not after 24 hours of launch, say, okay, did I get my 10, 10x return on investment? What's my ROI? Because customers, as we know, take, you know, minimum of three times, you know, three to 10 times of seeing something before they actually digest it. And so that's why I say simplicity of message is important, but then you got to get frequency of message and you got to get, make sure you touch them, not just in their Twitter feed or in their Instagram feed or in Facebook feed, but you touch them wherever you can. And so one of the greatest things that I think uh, some of the best marketers in the world do is, you know, you can drive yourself 
to death with data-driven analysis. And I love data. I'll be the first to tell you. But at some point, instinct and gut and emotion and experience matters. And understanding that human psychology matters. And so some of the best marketers in the world really are in tune to the human nature and the human behavior and the psychology there. And when you can take the data that informs your decisions and then you put it together with that emotional side of human behavior and you start to marry the two, that's when you start to see these amazing campaigns that people start talking about, right? So if you go back in time to when Apple was struggling against IBM and and I'm I'm a student of history and you say like, what happened? What changed? Everyone goes, you know, Steve Jobs came back, the iPhone. But what changed really back then? And if you all, if everyone can recall, they launched a campaign called Think Different. Two words, Think Different. They put Muhammad Ali, Bob Dylan, Nelson Mandela, all these people, Think Different, put it on campaign. They didn't even show a product. In today's world, a CFO, a CEO, it's, where's my product? How come you're not talking about how much? how much data we can collect or how much, what the platform does or how many concurrent transactions we can do or how we can solve the world problem. They just asked people to think different and they showed creativity and some of these leading individuals in the world thinking different associated with Apple. And everyone started saying, wow, I wanna be more like them and I wanna associate. That's the human nature side that never shows up in data. And so I would caution everybody that if you get too focused on the data, you'll do what everybody expects you to do. If you, if you take a little bit of risk and you're willing to take a chance and everybody believes in it and people buy in, take the chance uh, because the, the payout is 10x, right? You're, the others might work. I'm not saying they're not going to, but at some point, if you take a risk, if you're looking to accelerate that growth, risk is going to have to happen. Okay. Interesting. And I agree, you know, you've got to do something different to uh, to stand out in the market. Looking at, and there's going to be somebody on this who's listening to this and going, okay, yeah, but my business is different and, and this is, you know, this is a different industry. And so let's, let's bring that back from a, let's bring it down from an Apple perspective. Let's think that, you know, the private equity backed business that's 50 million revenue, 30 million uh, US dollar revenue in um, in the States, who's looking to think, right, how do we grow the business? How do we drive the organic growth? What advice would you be giving them? Let's say it's a B2B business. They're, they're looking to grow, whatever. The products and everything else doesn't really matter. But what would you be saying to them? They're thinking, well, Apple, you know, I can't hire, you know, Muhammad Ali to come on and, uh, uh, and Michael course. Jordan. You know, that, look, right now I'm, I'm at FanBester, we have limited resources. We have limited budgets. We have an amazing product, great technology platform. Um, you have to start thinking, okay, how do I, how am I nimble? How am I going to actually adjust and really work the system from a marketing perspective? So I take the approach of let's look at it from a macro strategy and then let's look at it from limited resources. What are the ways that are going to move the needle forward? And whether that's getting another round of investments. So if you're looking at driving another round of investors to come in to, you know, fuel your growth, if you're looking to grab new customers, or if you're looking, you know, on the B2B side to really target, you know, I don't approach everything from, hey, we're going to put out Facebook ads. I start to look at it, where are my customers? So I think multimedia is a tremendous asset, you know, from 
people on Zoom to now you're doing video podcasts, look at us today, you know, being able to leverage all the assets, you can do things so much less expensive than you could years ago, right? You can put together with an iPhone, you can have a video podcast set up, you can do recordings, you can have people self-record, you can hire interns who are hungry and young and looking to just help out. And what you do is you need to make sure you have someone leading the strategy because otherwise you get lost. People start going directions and you know someone wakes up one day and says, we need Facebook ads and then everyone shifts and then tomorrow, oh, we need to do a Twitter Q&A. You've got to start with strategy. How are we going to approach the business? What's our multi-media, multi-faceted touch points to every customers? So if you are a big, you know, common business that people are searching for keywords, whether that's, you know, hey, I'm looking for e-commerce vendors, I'm looking for virtual health wellness professional, you know, platforms. Great. Let's make sure that from an SEO perspective, it means you've got to make sure your site runs fast. You know, from Google's perspective, you got to make sure your message is clean. The keywords are in there. You put out blog content, you leverage press releases, get backlinks, and you do smart things. Those don't cost you much money, but you got to think through it and do the smart thing. So you have to work the system. If you're looking to buy ads, you make sure, okay, we want to make sure we buy it and get our placements up. So really understanding the SEO, which I do at the highest level, you know, there's lots of talented young individuals who can really run it and manage it. But, you know, speed of sight, content is there. Google cares the most about, you know, I always say, what does Google care the most about? They care the most about, you know, obviously financially, they care about money, but what drives their finances? Well, video content drives their finances because ads are more expensive on videos. Delivering of the right content to the people searching is the most valuable thing, whether they, it's not about money, but if they lose 1% of search, it's billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, what they care about is delivering you the best possible search result that you can get. That means it's judged by not people, but by an algorithm. The algorithm then looks at, is it, did you stay on the site? How long did you stay on the site? Did you click through on the site? Did you go deeper on the site? Well, if all that is true, was there video? Did you engage? If all that's true, was it mobile optimized? Because you know they care about mobile. If all that's true, what happens is you get ranked higher. It's pretty simple. So you have to look at it from, you know, the companies you're working with, Facebook, you know, they have incredible targeting. So make sure you do the right targeting. Make sure you get in front of the right customer. Don't just buy a generic ad, put it out there and then expect great results. You know, you can get down to the deepest level with Facebook's targeting and Instagram. So start to put together a plan. Okay, if we're gonna do podcasts, let's make sure we email out a group. Let's start building a customer database. Again, there's great tools from MailChimp to HubSpot to whatever you can put in, you can get these platforms up and running pretty quickly. And it's not that expensive. It doesn't take experts that have been around for 25 years. It does take people, but you really need to start with a strategy because if you don't, then you start to do all these little things and nothing ties together. And ultimately you need someone who's looking at it. You know, my role, my role has always been what strategically are we trying to do? okay, what, what's happening on SEO? Does it complement our SEM strategy? Does it complement our ad strategy? Are the messages the same so that we're getting benefits across it? 
what are we doing on the public relations side and the media side? Are we targeting the right industry publications if it's B2B? Are we trying targeting the right B2B, B2C publications? Are we targeting investor publications that people will read? So you really have to start to think of it holistically. And then, you know, you put in the plan, you set your budgets, you execute. Literally as, uh, as simple as that. Now, it's something that we've looked at heavily. Uh, you know, the reason we're having this conversation is because we've looked at it and it was something that I was un- unsure of at the beginning. I wasn't, you know, I didn't really under, I didn't have a concept of brand. Obviously, I knew that there was brands out there and brands existed, but I didn't realize I had any relationships with any and I uh, just assumed it didn't really matter what the business looked like, which is, you know, what Raw Selection previously looked like to compare where it is now. You know, we had to bring a firm in and, and drive a lot of that support. You know, we're a small business and and uh, so it, it sounds and looks really daunting, um, but it's, it, it is simple for, for businesses to start to execute on. Um, and once there's enough out there to be able to bring it in and, and bring it in people like yourself as chief marketing officers to, to drive that. What you mentioned, obviously, the strategy side of things. So right. looking at setting that strategy and, and reviewing it, how, how do you go about kind of identifying and having that conversation around strategy and, and what do you look at within a business to, to begin to decide where that strategy may be? Great question. So strategically, you have to start to look at, you know, yourself, who you are and who you want to be. It goes back to message, like who do we want to be? Then you have to start to look at who's your audience and who are you targeting you also have to start to listen to the feedback they're giving you. So if they start, so if you start to really look at the strategy, you look at who do we want to talk to, who do we want to be as an as a company. When you start to put those things together, some people make the mistake of you know this is who we are and this is what we want to be, and the customers are saying that's not who we think you are. And so you have to actually start to hear what the customers are saying and and they may say that's not who you are because you're you're playing a price game but you're not the you're you're not the price leader you're playing a quality game but your product is having issues so what are you trying to be and who are you trying to target and you start to find that that refines your message so i would tell any pe backed any startup any you know mature startup who's looking to take it to the next level you know, there is some self-reflection that's required. You can't, you can't force your message down a customer's throat if they don't want to take it. And so listening to the market is, is really critical. It's really critical. It helps you adjust your, your strategy. It helps you adjust your message. But that means that the strategy is also fluid. And I say that because at Yahoo, we had a strategy, we put it in place and you've got, you know, a year long strategy, you put it, you presented, you, everyone bought in and over the course of the year, that's what you were going for. Startup doesn't work the same way. You know, the product might open up, you might have opportunities, you know, some people obviously with COVID took advantage of the opportunities that all of a sudden people were at home. What do we do? What, how do we, how do we jump on that? How do we pivot? And there's some amazing startups that are, that are that are doing those types of things that have pivoted properly the challenge is in a pe you've got to be able to be nimble and quick got to be able to react and adjust and see things coming and and take advantage of the situation so i guess a long story short is when you put together a strategy think about who your customer is think about what your message is think about what are the ways 
you can touch those customers. And then from a resource perspective, do you have the right organization in place to actually execute it? And if you don't, do you shift people? Do you hire people? Or then you start to weigh, you know, the options of, okay, we don't have the money or the time or the resources to, to affect everything. So what are the most important things? And what are the things that hold the whole structure together? So, you know, if you take out public relations because you don't want to do it, well, that affects SEO, that affects SEM, that affects free media, that affects other things. So I don't know that I would take that out. If you take out social ads, then great, you don't have ads, but do you have any presence on social? Do you have a community manager really working your socials? Well, if so, maybe that can overcome the lack of ad dollars or you reduce the lack of ad dollars. So you start to weigh in, how do I execute this strategy? Not only how do I put it together? And then, you know, what's the data start to say? What do the customers start to say? Are you getting the clicks? Are you getting the impressions? Are people responding? Is there a chat room? Or do you have a feedback loop? And if so, then you kind of turn it around and, you know, you ultimately, I've never seen a startup not pivot once, twice, three times. I'm not saying they change. I'm just saying you shift just slightly. You realize that this word resonates with someone better. This phrase resonates with someone. So you listen to the, the business development people as well. Anybody talking to the customers? What are they saying or potential customers? And you start to build it into your marketing. Interesting. And you mentioned, you mentioned data quite a bit. And I don't know a, a, um, a private equity investor that doesn't love data, doesn't love reports, as uh, anybody who works in private equity will, will definitely uh, resonate strongly, uh, no doubt, with that. What are the key bits of data that you, you mentioned a bit there, also, which is the customer feedback side? What are the key bits of data that you're looking at as a CMO to see whether you're on the right strategy and you're making the right, you know, making the right moves? So I, I think the two biggest pieces are, you know, what does your funnel look like? How many people are coming in and how many people are leaving? And is it a leaky funnel or is it, you know, overflowing with new customers? And so, look, if, you, if you've got enough money, you can drive the top of the funnel because you can ultimately get people to click and check you out, right? Ultimately, I'm not saying it's a good investment. But if 98% of the people who came in, checked you out, never came back again, I would say it's the worst investment you could ever possibly make. So, you know, give me $100,000 and, you know, I put out cheap ads, clickbait ads. Oh, great. I did the top of the funnel. So somebody on the team is, you know, screaming up and jumping down for joy and saying, like, look, we got you, you know, I spent a dollar a person and I got you 100,000 new people to come in and check us out. Great. You look at data, Google Analytics, or you know whatever reporting tools you want to use. You say, yeah, but of the hundred thousand that came in that day, only you know two hundred have stayed. I would tell you that's a complete disaster. So, you know, you've also got to look at the recognition and the reward side of the. Make sure everybody on the team is looking towards the most important goal. To me, one of the most important you know success metrics is retention, activity sharing, you know, how engaged they are, how much do they like your brand, your product is always critical. So a leaky funnel is hard to fill, right? You lose people faster. So you spend more money and more money. And then, you know, 
Google or Facebook or whoever raises the price by 10% and you're paying 10% more for a leaky funnel. So you really have to look at how do all the pieces work. And from a data, you know, back to the two most important, you look at the funnel top, you know, how many people come in, how many people leave. And then you look at the, you know, how many people are sharing or engaging deeply because some people don't need a lot of customers, but if they get a lot of big advocates, and they are, you know, strong supporters and they're sharing your message and carrying your message. You know, one thing as a marketer is you try to evangelize them. Okay, how can I help you or incentivize you to actually carry my message even better? It might be cheaper than, you know, going with straight ads. So you have to be a little creative and think of, you know, in, in my world, dealing with some celebrities that we're working with, you know, we're looking at fan groups and looking at how do you engage fan groups as well how do you engage different individuals to actually carry the message forward not just not just your own narrow view of marketing start to think you know more creatively start to think of who are going to be the brand ambassadors and those current customers are also your best advocate so how do you encourage them to actually share your story and make it easy for them um, I will say this, one of the thing, one of the big mistakes, especially for people who have worked with, you know, celebrity talent or any talent for that matter, or any outside groups is, you know, they ask them, hey, will you do a post? Will you do this? Yeah, sure. The first question is, what do you want me to say? So do it for them. Make it easy on them to actually carry the message. And when you do that, so if you have a customer, myself, uh, no celebrities type, hey, here's a great thing to share with your friends, hey, I might post it. But if you say, hey, we'd love you to share with your friends, what do you want me to say? Like, if that makes sense. So make it easy on everybody to actually create that virality and advocacy. It comes down as well on the, that's very similar to the testimonial side is you kind of go to somebody and ask them, can you, can you tell us about our service? And they're like, yes, it's good. And you're like, well, I want more. I want loads more detail. You've got to kind of support them with it. And I think, you know, it's getting the balance between, you know, basically sign this off. This is who we are. This is what we want you to say. But uh, taking them down, either asking them effective questioning and being like, look, what what did you like about it? What what did you use it for? What what happened? What did it change? And getting into that and not just going down the route of, you know, did you like our product? Yes. Okay. Brilliant. Um, And and I'll always think of one question that you might ask everybody. You know, if you're asking for a testimonial, what's the one question? Because if you ask that, then testimonials in in a silo are amazing. So Alex, you know, wow, your business, it's the best, you know, company I've worked with. And, you know, their management team helped me, you know, really identify the right candidate. It made my job a lot easier. Great. That's a singular testimonial. But imagine if they asked everybody the same question. What's what was so important about working with us? and you gave one answer, well, they asked seven other people the same question. And then all of a sudden, every single person gave a different version of a similar answer. And all of a sudden, you've got your messaging around, hey, expertise, experience, education. One person talked about education. One person talked about diversity. All of a sudden, you didn't say anything, but you had six people carry your entire story, which is more powerful by asking just every single person the same question. And so you you can't always think of everything individually. You gotta start to step back and say, what are we trying to accomplish? And then how can we put it together? 
Interesting, interesting. I think we could, well, I could, I could definitely talk to you all day about marketing. I think it's a, it's a fascinating subject. It's a subject that I've, you know, I've only touched the surface on and, and an area that I've been having to read significantly about to learn more about it. Just bringing that back to, to kind of talent and people, what, what from your perspective, what are the kind of three attributes that you believe make a, a top performing individual? I will say the first thing is raw intelligence. I know it's a, a, a strange, you know, how do you judge raw intelligence, but really raw intelligence from not just academic, but street, you know, experiential instinct judgments. Are they, are they making good judgments? Are they making smart things? Passion. I think passion has to come out when you get, get to work with passionate people. Even if you're in a disagreement, that passion leads to two sides with great passion in a disagreement leads to a better outcome. And so when there's respect, education, passion, intelligence, and then I think uh, what really matters is, you know, individuals who can think down to the tactical level, but never lose sight and have a hunger for learning and are always thinking about the strategy that you're putting forward. And so they don't just do their job they also think about how it affects the rest of the organization. And I say the rest of the organization because marketing in a way has a, has can set the tone for an organization when employees and finance see that you're written up in the New York times or, you know, some other article or fast company, they get excited about it. And so internally working, you know, working with HR, thinking about, introducing new products, letting your employees to have it first, you know, some of the things that you, you know, I always found it interesting that I was working at a a Lightspeed, which is a POS, you know, we launched a new product feature line. And, you know, I said, like, let's introduce it to the employees first. Let's let every employee taste it, literally, before we got out. And so we, you know, had an ice cream truck come and they used it to pay for it. It was fun. Everyone got a chance, but they, in, in a soft way, they got to learn that what we were launching. And so they got to tell all their friends and it, it becomes more important, but, you know, let everyone be a part of the company is critical. And then from a talent, you know, you take the raw intelligence, you take the judgment, you look at the experience and, you know, I love people with a hunger for learning, a hunger to get better, a hunger to work across you know, the organization to work with different people to figure things out. And in PE side, you you know, startup side, you've really got to roll up your sleeves and start to can't really take a lot of things personally, because today you're acting as a C today I acted as CMO, you know, and this afternoon I will probably be writing copy, you know, for things that similar that I did, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but that's okay. So, you know, you got to be humble, but I love people with passion. I love people who are excited and I love people with a hunger to learn. And then you take the raw intelligence and as the strategies are created, you really start to see the people, the individuals step up. Absolutely. I think the, certainly I agree with all those points, but certainly on the, the hunger to learn. I think if people have desire 
to expand, to, to learn new things. They add more value. They bring more to the table there. And, and that drives their passion. You know, somebody sat doing the same job for the whole career may not be as passionate as somebody that's, that's learning new things and implementing new areas and, and pushing different things through. So yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with that um, uh, anymore. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll just add to that because in the startup world, you're going to get roadblocks. A lot of times you're going to say, oh, we can't do this. Like to do it, you know, the product investment's going to be X, the time is going to be Y, or the, you know, distribution, or if you don't have a hunger to learn, you don't also allow yourself creativity to explore opportunities to solve a problem in a non-traditional manner, right? Sometimes problems aren't solved just by, you know, hey, we're going to throw money and resources. Sometimes it's solved by thinking differently. Sometimes it's solved by actually reimagining the whole approach. And I think you saw that. Uh, I think you saw that a lot in the last year, people rethought, you know, their entire approach to business. I was talking to a woman a CEO the other day for highlights. It's a product research in the CPG world. And, you know, it's fascinating, obviously highly intelligent individual wonder. She's going to be an amazing C- CEO. And I, I, I know their product will make it you know, they pivoted from vending machines on campus where people could try a, you know, product, give instant research feedback on their phone to, oh shit, no one's on campus anymore. What do we do? You know, how do we, how do we solve this? And, you know, that if you aren't willing to take a risk and you aren't willing to always learn, you wouldn't know how to pivot. Now, all of a sudden it's dropping boxes into people's dorm rooms or, apartments or parents houses in this in this situation and they're getting the feedback so you know quick pivots make sense but they only make sense when people are willing to explore opportunities and they have open minds and and that to me open mind and hunger for learn kind of go hand in hand yeah absolutely couldn't agree more what do you what do you love about the private equity if I speak again, what do you love about the private equity industry? And equally, what do you uh, hate or if hate too much of a strong word, what do you dislike? What I love is the ability to actually affect strategy, to affect the way the business as a, as a higher level executive, the way the business is positioned, to meet with the investors themselves, to hear directly from them what they're looking for, what they think to involve them. Sometimes you get some great board members, advisors that have tremendous experience and can share knowledge. And, you know, hey, I I still have a hunger for learning. So if you can grab that knowledge and you can learn from these individuals, but you can react fast. The difference in a PE situation is you can move quickly. You can move extremely quickly. You can change a website tomorrow, you know, without going through 25 loops. Those are the things that excite me is that you actually have the ability to navigate quickly, to make decisions, to analyze data, to see things through. You don't have to wait to get meetings with the CEO. You don't have to wait to get meetings with, you know, the entire organization for that matter. You just can go do it. What I don't like is back to patience, you know, private equity, I I find they don't have a lot of patience. They want, you know, oh, well, you launched yesterday. So how many, what's our customer count today? And you're just sitting there going, that's not the right question. (laughs) You know, the right question is, 
Did you launch effectively? Were there any hiccups? Did you have any challenges? What was the initial feedback you got? And so I, I find that sometimes the, the vision of what private equity is expecting puts pressure on an organization which culturally hurts the culture of an organization to go get very nervous. You see organization, oh, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And when you start to do that, you make mistakes. And I, I just think sometimes, you know, private equity, when they buy into the strategy, they bought into it to begin with, they heard what you were doing. As soon as you launch, they get nervous that it's not working as well. And so you start to see both sides get nervous. And when that happens, you start to see, you know, pressure internally, this culture of like, we're going to rule the world and we're all in it together becomes kind of, you know, it, it hurts the culture. So I think it's really difficult for an organization when you've got, you know, pressure from a PE coming down to maintain this culture of, you know, who they are, the spirit of who they are. And I think when you've got executives who can hold that line and really, you know, balance and manage that uh, PE discussions and involve them and share the data, but don't share it early because sometimes it's misleading, you know, saying, oh yeah, let me show you all the data from this morning. And, you know, it's like looking at the stock market every day. If you look in the morning, you freak out and you look in the afternoon, it's different and what happened. And then, you know, that, that can happen. So, you know, allow, allow the teams to, to run the strategy that you agreed with and then allow them to watch the success. Don't take the pressure off, but you don't have to put uh, unnecessary pressure that causes mistakes and causes decisions that are irrational to be made. Yeah, I don't think you'll be alone on the patient side. It's getting that balance, isn't it? Because you're working in such yeah. a fast growth, fast paced environment. You know, investors are wanting to know, as private equity investors are wanting to know what happened, that it's happening, they need to report back to their LPs. But equally, you know, you need to be left to do your role. So it's it's getting that connection and that 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 trust between you know, the investor as private equity investor, and then also the, uh, the C-suite team. And there's that trust that, you know, it's been executed on, it's happening, but it's, it's, not a, it's not an easy one. And I know plenty of people that have got that balance wrong and been, been in, uh, in bad situations because of it. Yeah. And as an executive, you tr- have to still stay true to who you are and what you know, mm-hmm. and that it's hard to do. I'm not saying it's easy. And, and I enjoy working with the PE teams because you often, at the end of the day, the insights and the ability and their knowledge is amazing for a lot of them that I've worked with. And you gather that knowledge, you internalize it, you execute using that and leveraging that with your own experience, your own knowledge. You know, don't just take an order, just listen and take that feedback and think through it because there might be a nugget that makes everything better. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's about communications, but it's also setting expectations. So, you know, I've gotten questions, what happened? And I will push back and say, I can't tell you because if I tell you right now, it's going to change. And I know you want to know. I will give it to you as soon as you can. But, you know, it's hard to say that. It's hard to say that, especially when they're the investors who ultimately are paying your salary. Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking at trying this back into the, the, the marketing bit in, in reference, if, if someone's out there and they're listening to you know our discussions and thinking, OK, how do I begin to start to learn this, you know, this this marketing thing that is kind of a bit of a myth and a bit of a I don't really understand it I don't get it marketing's just you know collateral that salespeople take in their car when they're on the way to a meeting where, where would you suggest somebody went for that 
information? Where, where would they begin their research and, and begin to understand the, the world that is marketing? You know, marketing's an in, interesting subject. It's, it's the one that everybody thinks they know everything about. A CFO has an opinion. A CEO has an opinion, even if they've never done it. A, you know, an HR person, everyone has an opinion on marketing because they see the end result. They don't see all the in-depth things that happen behind the scenes to, to actually get to that end result. And so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of marketing is, you know, we're transitioning, but it's all historical. So I say that lovingly about all these, you know, oh, we need influencers in our marketing campaign. Well, go back in time. Influencers were just a little, I would just say different. You now talk about someone on TikTok with 3 million followers as an influencer of your brand. Well, 25 years ago, if you could get Michael Jordan to drink Gatorade and be like Mike, I would argue that he was the biggest influencer of all in that in that period of time. Or, you know, in, in Europe there there are plenty of footballers who you could you could find to put their name on it. So the whole idea of an influencer campaign is not new. It's just evolved. The whole idea of a, a chance to win and raffles and now you have Omaze doing celebrity sweepstakes and it's nothing's new. You know, McDonald's was doing the Monopoly game years and years and years ago with chances to win, you know, million dollars. So nothing is new. The difference is things are happening faster. Timelines are quicker. Reactions from product launches to product development are quicker. If you're in the retail industry, you know, you can get print on demand. You can get, you know, product on demand going. And so you know, what I would say is if you're going to learn, you know, there's some great individuals that you can listen to, but, you know, great podcasts, but ultimately study the customer. What's the human behavior? Because we're all psychologically, you know, humans. And so ultimately we, we get motivated by similar things, whether that's, you know, family. I, I often say in a retail world, you know, you see a family walk in with little kids, take care of the kids, you'll win the parents. And so, you know, that, that doesn't say that the parents have money, don't have money, you know, whatever. It has nothing to do with that. It's just human nature that when people are good to your kids, you have a more positive impression of that business. Same thing, you know, look at the human nature, look at how to engage people emotionally, think about your product as the brand itself. It's really the reflection of your brand, no matter what marketing you put out there. If the product isn't right, it doesn't matter. You could have the best marketing in the world. But look, there's podcasts like what you're hosting today. There's uh, podcasts out there that you can listen to. There's some great books. But ultimately, I tried to look at history. I tried to look at some of the best programs. I looked at what Nike was doing during you know, the Black Lives Matter movement at the height of it in the last year and how they were positioning and how they were talking and you know, they weren't promoting themselves. They were just talking about the human nature and, and, and the importance of it. And I think people gravitated to that as a brand in a subtle way, subconsciously, even though it, they never said their name, it wasn't self-promotion. So I do think there is something about gratitude, being showing your customers appreciation and thinking through, I always say, if your customer is your true north, you'll never be wrong in the long term. Interesting. Would I, would I be, my next question was going to be, where do you get your influences from? Would I be right in saying that your influences come from your customers? 
I would say my influences come from my customers. My influences come from other businesses. I really look, you know, we often get into a rut that says, oh, I'm in retail, so I'm going to look at every other retailer. Oh, I'm in tech. I'm only going to, I worked at Yahoo. I'm going to look at what Google's doing, what Twitter's doing, what Facebook's doing. No, look at what McDonald's is doing. Look at what uh, Nike is doing. Look at what Peloton has now done. Look at, you know, with establishing communities. Look at all these other businesses and then see how you adapt it to your own. And I would say that to me is where I get a lot of my, knowledge. I read, I read a lot of articles. I try to look at what the businesses are doing. I tr- and I don't glean from an interview with, you know, the CMO or the CEO of Peloton. I don't glean, oh, I need to follow their model, but I may get an insight just from that on how they approach building a community of Peloton advocates. And that one little nugget, I might be able to apply. And then I read an article about how, you know, Fashion, fashion innovation, an amazing conference has rethought the whole idea of fashion shows and the fashion week and really has focused in on sustainability and innovation and entrepreneurship, you know, from the supplier side to the designer. And you start to listen to in their conference and you start to get these great insights and you start to say, hmm, I'm not in the fashion world, but it's interesting. A lot of people are doing products on demand. Maybe I should really think about you know, I sell some products, I have a small store, how maybe I need to look at my supply chain, maybe I need to rethink that. So there are areas that you can get it. But most importantly, don't look at it as I need to read the whole article and follow and copycat, look at it as are there little nuggets that I can take and apply from different industry, different industry leaders, Tesla to, you know, a lot of them, you know, where they have tremendous resources, they have a lot of budgets, they have a lot of the, you know, smartest people in the world working for them. It's okay to borrow some of their ideas, or as I say, be inspired by some of their ideas. It doesn't mean copying them. It means thinking about them. So, you know, uh, I, I was speaking at a conference the other day and, you know, the question was, you know, sustainable clothing and, you know, when will it adapt? And I said, you know, a lot of the industry has to reimagine just like Tesla reimagined selling an electric vehicle. It went from an ugly Prius to the sexy, beautiful car that was in the shopping malls in the U.S. Like they completely broke the, changed the game. And so what did I glean out of that is maybe you need to reimagine, not just, not just continue to go forward. So. I think so. that's interesting because you're getting inspiration, not just from where we'd normally look. Like I go and look at a lot of executive search firms. I go, you know, if I went and followed, you know, what Heydrich and Spencer Stewart and those guys are doing, you know, it's not innovative in the most part. You know, it's it's some of those businesses that are creative and doing things really different, like Nike, like, you know, you mentioned McDonald's and, and what Peloton have done with their business. You know, in essence, they've just sold gym equipment but they've put it into our homes and they've put a screen on it. But there's a lot more to it because of the community and everything else they've built around and taking inspiration from them, but not just looking at, we make widgets, what do the other widget manufacturers do? Right, well, we'll copy that and then we all end up looking the same. It's going into different industries and, and taking inspiration of what, and adapting it to your industry. And uh, I think yeah. that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, and you know, uh, I'm working with... Uh... Larry Namer, who's our COO uh, at FanBester, and he is the founder of E Entertainment. And, you know, the other week, brilliant man. He 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 said, you know, let's reimagine podcasts and video podcasts, and reimagine the delivery of these from a whole 
sector. And obviously, you know, as a founder of E, he knows content, he knows how, how to create it and has been tremendously successful. But just to watch the thought process and how he's getting inspiration and how he was still studying, you know, a person with that experience tells you that the hunger to learn and the hunger to reach out beyond what you normally would see to get your insights and to rethink things is tremendously valuable. And it happens uh, with the smartest people and most successful in the people in the world today still. Absolutely. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, and I know you've been incredibly kind with your time uh, here today, but you're also just generally, you know, very generous uh, with your time and your advice. How would somebody kind of reach out to you if they've got a question, they want to ask you something or, or to reach out on a different matter? So, How's the best to reach out to you? I would say LinkedIn is the platform I use the most. I ran social media accounts. I don't personally like to put my, you know, I tend, it's like the cobbler's kid, right? You make the shoes, but you don't actually, uh, you know, wear nice shoes yourself. LinkedIn is a great platform. You can reach out to me directly through the company I'm working with, which is Fanvestor. You can send a note to Laith, L-A-I-T-H dot M-U-R-A-D at fanvestor.com. LinkedIn, those are probably my two uh, best methods. Perfect. Well, look, thank you very much for joining us today, Leif. Um, I've got a ton of value from this and, and loads of information, and lots of insights. So I really do thank you for your time. You're very generous. Thank you, Alex. I uh, appreciate it. And uh, thank you to all the guests listening. Yeah. And as, as always, thank you very much uh, for everybody listening for to joining us today. And of course, should you ever need support with private equity professionals or portfolio executives with your hiring, please do reach out to me at Raw Selection. But till the next time, do keep smashing it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Podcast on www.raw-selection.com.